who wants to be married and divorced by the time that they're 26? Hi, everyone. Sarah Perla here. Today's episode is about annulments, so there's some sensitive stuff in it. If you're listening with kids, you may want to save this one for later. Now, we'll get back to Stacey Tomlinson, the young woman you just heard. I'm a registered nurse, currently living in Kibeho, Rwanda, uh, but I'm back in the United States visiting friends and family for a few months. On our wedding day, my dad said that he had never seen a happier bride. How did Stacy go from being the happiest bride her dad had ever seen to divorced and seeking an annulment in 18 months? And what is an annulment anyway? That's what we're talking about today on Made for Love. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB about how real people live out the call to love. Before we get back to Stacy's story, let's get a quick lesson about annulments with Father Bob Cannon from the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm a diocesan priest in the Diocese of Venice in Florida, and currently I'm the Chancellor for the Archdiocese of Military Services. That's right, y'all. His name is Father Bob Cannon, and he's a canon lawyer, and he works at the Archdiocese of the Military. Take a moment. Basically what an annulment is, it's a declaration by the church that the person or persons were not able to give consent, valid consent, to really say, I do with with integrity, because it's consent that forms marriage. That wonderful moment when you take so-and-so, do you take so-and-so, better for worse, well, that's when the marriage actually takes place. So it's at that moment that the church really investigates. It's not so much what happened later on in the marriage. Sometimes that's part of it. But the key point is the time of consent. Was there anything at the time of consent that would have kept the consent of the parties from really being valid or binding for life? And that's what the annulment process really looks at. There are a number of grounds for annulments. The traditional grounds are when there was no intention to do what the church means by marriage, that is, to unite for life, to be faithful to one another, and to be open to children. So, many couples don't believe in permanency. Many couples don't believe in fidelity. Many couples don't believe in having children in their marriage. Well, if they believe that going in, then that's an invalid marriage if that can be proven. There are also what are called psychological grounds for annulment. That's probably been one of the, the biggest ones that has been used by tribunals in the United States. And it may seem a little bit more technical, but not everyone can give consent. Um, not everyone can say, I do. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say you have a person who, and I'll just use one particular uh, example, addicted to drugs or alcohol. Well, physically and mentally, that person, by definition is addicted and their freedom is compromised. So they really can't give valid consent because they can't really give of themselves to what they're consenting to. Or there's some personality disorders, for instance, like narcissistic personality disorder, where the person's totally consumed with their own needs, their own wants. Well, the definition of marriage is a community of life and love. A person who's truly narcissistic can't enter to a community of life and love because they're just about themselves and their needs. So they really can't form that, that bond of, of uh, love and concern and spousalness that marriage requires. 
One of the ways the church seeks to help couples to really say I do is through marriage preparation. So marriage preparation can be a wonderful thing. I can just tell you as a priest, working with a couple and helping them work through issues. The hardest time I have with couples is when they're just doing the minimum so they can get the date and the book and the, and the calendar for their wedding. Most couples who come to a priest to get married think they're already ready. And so anything that they have to do is, is like pulling teeth because again, they already feel that they're ready to get married. And it's only a handful of couples that really want to do everything that they can to make sure that they are properly prepared for marriage. And other couples just feel we need to do the check boxes so we can get the reservation in the church and get on with our lives and get this church thing done. No, I mean, not that they're that crass, but, but that's, often that's, that's the case. Father Bob has a story that illustrates this point. I'll give you an example. I inherited this case of a couple where uh, the priest that was preparing them for marriage was transferred. So I opened the file and I looked and they did not have any notes regarding that one instrument called prepare and enrich. And there's a variety of premarital assessment tools that are good. And they identify a lot of things that can be wrong, communication, finances, ideas about children, a whole variety of different kinds of areas that are important in marriage. So I look at the results and typically they go from zero to 100%. Everything was 5%, 12%, 18%. And the only one that was high was in sexual uh, awareness, sensitivity, values, whatever, that was like 90. Okay. All the other ones, the things that actually sustain a marriage were very, very low. So when I opened the file and I saw what their scores were, and these aren't predictive, but they give you an idea where people people have talked about and such. I called the bride to be up and I said, hey, did father so-and-so ever sit down with your fiance and go over the results of your prepare and rich? No, father. I said, you need to come in immediately. This was just like a couple of weeks before the marriage. So she comes in, sits down, and I say, I have to tell you, you have to postpone your wedding. Well, we can't. I, well, I'm just telling you that when I look at, you really need to postpone your marriage. Well, my father's already, you know, got the reservations at the club. All our relatives are flying down. We've got the food, the caterer, all these different kinds of things. We can't cancel it because it'd be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So I said to her, and she started crying, and I said, I'm just telling you that you've got some huge issues that you're going to have to really spend a lot of time working on for your marriage to be successful. Guess how long the marriage lasted? Less than two weeks. They got into a huge fight. He went and basically put super glue in the locks so she couldn't get in the house. And that, that was it. That's a dramatic story, but it's about something pretty common, which is when what someone calls love isn't really love. Shakespeare's sonnet 116 reads, in part, Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Love has to last through changes and trials to deserve its name. That's why I called this episode, When Love is Not Love because that seems to be what happens in annulment cases. There's a disconnect somewhere between the word love and what love means or ought to mean. 
how do you know when someone says, I love you, that number one, they mean it, and number two, that they have the same idea of what love means, that they know what it means. So did Stacy have any warning signs that when Nabil said, I love you, he didn't really mean the same thing that she did? Yeah, there were definitely warning signs, and um, but I was in love, and I had, you know, l- love blinds you. Bias is your judgment. During our time dating, we had dated and broken up several times. And um, my best friend had told me, um, look, this is not, you don't either split up or spend the rest of your life together. You know, like, that's not a good uh, gamble, like you're gambling. Stacy and Nabil met in college. They lived in the same dorm and became friends, growing even closer when they went on a spring break trip to help hurricane cleanup in North Carolina. Stacy was a strong Lutheran and told Nabil that they couldn't date because they didn't share religion in common. After the spring break trip, Nabil started meeting with the pastor at the Lutheran church and eventually wanted to be baptized. And so he was baptized there at the University Lutheran Chapel. And then we started dating. And uh, and everyone around me was jealous in a good way, telling me, mm-hmm. you know, wow, he loves you so much. Um, he would do anything for you, and he talks about you. And I felt so blessed and special to have found him. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we had our fight. But when he proposed to me, it was the happiest day of my life. I had finally found my life partner, the uh, the one that I was going to grow old with, that I was going to have children with, that I was going <clears> to <throat> journey through this life with. We got married at the University Lutheran Chapel, same place where he was baptized. Now I know what you're thinking. Annulments are a Catholic thing. So why are we talking about this Lutheran wedding? Well, the Catholic Church honors the marriages of other denominations, or of two non-Christians for that matter. So we'll get to why Stacy pursued an annulment in the Catholic Church later. The marriage seemed to be going well at first. Stacy and Nabil moved into a trailer that her mom bought them as a wedding gift, and they got a dog. Then there were the nightmares. I started having nightmares that he was cheating on me. What that helped me to realize was that my suspicions ran so deep. I was so terrified that my worst nightmare was coming true that I was having nightmares about it. Um, It was that powerful of an emotion. And so, like, I knew that things were off before that point but when I started having nightmares I was like something is not right you know like that was the moment Mm -hmm. that I'm like whoa things have shifted my worst fear was to be cheated on Uh, my worst fear was that he would be unfaithful to me and he knew that and so I was I was terrified that this was my worst nightmare coming true Um, and in fact it was it started out with little clues Stacy would catch Nabil lying about things, stupid things, like spending $5 on something. If you would cover your tracks so diligently for $5, where's the man behind the curtain? Where's the big lie hiding it? Plus, there were just, yeah, there were other things, the way he would treat me or things he would say to me or he would uh, look at other women as they walked by, just made me uncomfortable and made me suspicious. None of it on its own, pointed to infidelity. But when you added up all these little things, it made me awfully suspicious. First, they tried counseling. After one session, he was like, nope, I've had enough. This is not. But I continued going. 
yeah. because I needed right. I needed help to process this psychologically, emotionally, and it brought mm-hmm. up some traumas from my past. And so uh, we were able to work on both of those. And so it was beautiful because I had an outlet in order to process this, to share it out loud. Finally, Stacy was sure. She confronted Nabil. In order to get him to tell the truth, I had to corner him with every piece of evidence that I had. He yeah. would never voluntarily tell the truth. Stacy didn't know what to do. She believed that marriage was for life, for better or worse. But this just seemed to be an impossible situation. That was my agony in the garden. My prayer was the united prayer of Jesus in the garden. And and I know that what I experienced is only a sliver of what he experienced, his agony, you know. But um, he allowed me to experience just, you know, a drop. And wow. Nabil asked for a divorce. Father Bob said that what he learned working on annulments cases was... I would say that I'm amazed at how people hurt each other. I'm amazed at how people will simply use and take advantage of each other and not reverence the other person they have joined their lives. Was I angry? Oh, you bet. I mean, I can't even describe the depth of my hurt because this was my worst nightmare coming true. I was absolutely shattered. But at the same time, I knew that I had to immediately start on um, forgiving at the same time. I asked Stacy to describe how she felt going through this. I was lost. I was depressed. In the first few months, I felt like I was living in an alternate reality. I was like, mm. this is not my life. Like, right. I should not be here right now. I should be at home playing with my dogs, you know, like our dogs. It was super weird because my life felt like it, like I was on the train tracks and I all of a sudden got derailed. Now I'm right. off the tracks and I'm I'm into uncharted territory and I felt like a failure, that it was my fault. If only I had loved him more, if I had not pestered him so much, if I had kept a cleaner house, if I had, if I had been more, more this or more that or better somehow, um, that he wouldn't have cheated on me, um, that it was my fault. Something was wrong with me that caused him to be unfaithful. Stacy reacted like most of us do when in pain. So I started partaking in some self-destructive behaviors. What I felt was like, God, I tried to do things your way. Our relationship before our marriage, um, was it perfect? No, but we strove to have a, a relationship that was pleasing to you. And in our marriage, I prayed to you every day, went to church every Sunday, had your pictures all over my house, relied on you for strength, and then this is what happened. Do you know what, God, I tried things your way. Now I'm going to do them my way. And I became the prodigal son. I ran away from God. I was like, you have all this stuff, you know, all this amazing things in your house, but I just want my inheritance and I'm going to leave. And he gave it to me. Let me go. And it was beautiful because I needed to experience that freedom to know uh, what poor choices I make. <laughs> you know, just like the prodigal son is like spent all his money and then he's like he's like longing to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. I think I, I went on hiatus or went my own journey for a year, a year and a half. At the end of that time, I looked back and I was like, well, I have just been like a self-destructive force 
my life is in shambles. Like I'm even more wounded now than I was before because I've I've tried to fill this void with everything but the one who can fill it. And we all do that, you know, with varying degrees. All sin is is trying to fill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Stacy knew that she couldn't move on carrying all this anger with her. I uh, found my diary not too long ago from that time, and the, the day that I found out that he was being unfaithful, I wrote in my diary, I don't know how to feel right now. I'm numb. I, I know that I'm experiencing shock. I'm, like, <laughs> analyzing myself medically. <laughs> like, I know that I am in shock right now, but I also know I need to forgive him. I wrote that the day that I found out, and I attribute that as a grace from God, you know, from day one. Um, What I learned uh, probably most profoundly is that forgiveness is a choice, just like love. It's great when you love someone and you want to spend time with them and you want to sacrifice for them and and you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because you're just so in love. But love is is much more real when you have bedhead and bad breath and uh, you don't particularly like each other, but you still choose to to love that other person, you know. Or if or if they've done something to wound you, you choose to love them anyway, even when it doesn't feel good. Stacy became Catholic after the divorce. Her older brother had entered the church earlier and was going to the seminary to become a priest. Stacy considered religious life, but was told that she would need an annulment in order to pursue it. I uh, got the paperwork, and uh, it was very long, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of pages to fill out. It was very painful reliving those details, those very same details that I had tried to forget that were mm-hmm. incredibly painful for me to think about. Uh, in a way, I had buried those, and this process dredged those back up which I'd like to say it was a great process and it was refreshing <laughs> and I loved going through it. And, but yeah, it was, it was really painful, but I knew that it was served a good purpose. During the annulment process, the applicant writes a narrative about their marriage. The marital history is basically a series of questions to help those who are going to be reviewing what happened in the marriage to see, one, if, if there's any grounds to petition for an annulment, and and to get a sense of what actually happened. And it's not unusual for those marital histories uh, to come in, and you can see where the person's cried, the ink, you know, where the kind of smears when you're crying, you know, when you're writing out by hand. They'll talk about how long it took, how they couldn't just do it all in one sitting. They had to come back and and reflect. So what did Stacy think of this process? It was healing in a way to get those memories out on paper. I think part of the healing process sometimes is getting stuff out of your head and onto paper so it stops kind of rattling around in your brain. And I don't think that I had ever written about what I went through. You know, like I I journaled about how I was feeling, but the process, like an overview of what every I had never really written down. As painful as it was, there was some healing also that came with that. But it definitely wasn't fun. In our society, when a person gets a divorce, there are not a lot of opportunities to share with people what happened, to explain what happened. And so friends and family typically are reluctant to even go into that arena 
to listen to people. It's kind of like sacrosanct. And so the annulment process is a formal way of reviewing what happened. And by doing that, the person can, can reflect on things and put it in some kind of context as far as what occurred in the marriage. And that can be very, very helpful because they can bring closure to a lot of things they've never really talked about or discussed with anyone or even admitted to themselves. It can help them understand their relationship with God differently, family members. There's a whole variety of different aspects. So the healing process is something that does occur in the annulment process if it's done correctly. Stacy really encourages people to go through the process if they have questions. For anybody out there who knows that they, you know, this is a journey that they need to take, uh, I encourage you to to know that it's going to be a difficult journey. Uh, in fact, you probably already know it's going to be difficult. That's why you've been delaying. But it's worth it. It's worth it to be on the other side, to have it done with. And it's kind of like uh, going to confession, you know, like you dread going to confession. And you're like, oh, I do not want to say this out loud. Um, <laughs> and then after you go to confession, like, Whoever regrets going to confession, you're like, oh, man, I'm so clean. I sure wish I had stayed dirty, you know? (laughs) No, confession is amazing, the feeling afterwards. After the church investigated Stacy's case, she received a declaration of nullity. She also discerned that she was not called to religious life at this time. Ultimately, I, I feel like I was afraid of being wounded again, and I was running away from marriage to the convent. The first person that you would want to talk to if you think you should go through the annulment process is your parish priest. Then you may want to talk to the marriage and family director in your diocese. This is one of the people who works in that office. If someone calls in and they're investigating, do I want to have an annulment? My job is to hear a little bit of their story and keep them moving forward, and then I pass them off to the tribunal. In our Diocese, they do a beautiful job of, of really taking care of that person because it's a big step and it's a yeah, difficult yeah. step to make. It, you know, in our diocese, I have to say, we're, we're very compassionate with anyone that comes forward and asks because you come in and, and when you come in, you're not sure whether or not your marriage is going to be deemed that it can, that it was null or not. You don't know. And the right. investigation is hard and it's, um, you know, it brings up an awful lot of memories and things. So it's tough. That's Alice Heinzen. I live in the beautiful state of Wisconsin. I am the director of the Office for Marriage and Family Life at the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. I think the, the thing that I can add to the conversation is the need for a diocesan tribunal office to be prepared to receive tenderly any person that comes forward seeking an annulment. Whether they're going to get it or not, our response to them must be one of compassion and tenderness. The annulment process is meant to find out the truth of a person's marital situation, but there are also hidden benefits. If you can have any kind of process that will help a person feel better about themselves, be more ready to enter into another relationship, to restore some kind of wholeness inside, and especially in the soul, in their heart. And people often are injured uh, from wondering if they can ever love again, love another person or trust them, 
lots of things. And so if the annulment process, again, even though it's not designed to do those things, if those things happen in the annulment process, then it's been a real blessing, not only for the marriage that's being considered, but also in the future. Those people that I know that come forward and have worked through annulments typically come back and say thank you. This has helped me understand what happened. It's helped me grow, come back to the church. It's helped me understand the love of God better. The only perfect love is God's. But human love in marriage can come close. An annulment gives Stacy the freedom to seek it. The feeling after the entire process was over, that not only had I finished the paperwork, but when the entire process was over, man, it was such a weight off of my heart. It gave me closure to that relationship. After experiencing the love that was not love, Stacy is now free to seek a man who does know what love means. Go to our page, marriageuniqueforareason.org, for more information. I want to thank Father Bob Cannon, Stacy Tomlinson, and Alice Heinzen, and we'll give Stacy the last word. This is my whole life. I want to take my pain, and I want to turn it into a story that can encourage someone else. I want other people to learn and to benefit from my suffering, because that helps to give it meaning. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.